Acts 15 and 16 this week. And we're starting in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one he had withdrawn from then in Philampia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for their observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and leaders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, in the faith, and they and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately, we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Today, we're going to be looking at disappointment. Disappointment. Disappointment in ministry, disappointment in life. And uh, how do we handle that? I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on disappointment. Um, maybe I have, I just was disappointed, so I forgot it. But uh, this is a sermon on disappointment. But I want to uh, hold that intention with the good news uh, that disappointment need not define us or trap us or hold us back. And that's what I really want to focus on. So really, I just want to draw your attention to two main headings, two main points that come out of this text that I think really serve us as a church well. Uh, the first thing is that in gospel advance, we must prepare for disappointment. In gospel advance, we must prepare for disappointment. Second point, but God sovereignly works to advance the gospel. So let's think of the first one. In gospel advance, we must prepare for disappointment. Um, we have been working through the book of Acts, as you know, and we're coming now to the, the time that begins in Acts chapter 16, uh, this is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but we, we, that's how we refer to it. He's already been on his first missionary journey that started in chapter 13. Him and Barnabas went off. Um, they started off, remember, they went to Cyprus and they met the magician and the proconsul, then ended up on the mainland. And then Derek preached on Acts 15, uh, 14 uh, when they went up to the mainland. And they came back and they were filled with joy and, and amazing things had happened. And the, the first missionary uh, uh, trip was a, a, a raving success. But 
the second missionary trip, which started here at sort of the end of Acts 15, the beginning of Acts 16, started under a bit of a cloud, let's be honest. Um, why is that? Well, you can see in verses 36 to 39, things didn't really start off as strong or as positive as everybody had hoped. Uh, the plan was for Barnabas and Paul, this sort of missionary uh, dream team, to return to the churches that they had already planted and to go and see how they are, to go along and, and encourage them and see how they're getting on. And yet it says there that this guy called John, otherwise known as Mark, who uh, later on has, uh, wrote the Gospel of Mark in the Bible, right? but at this stage he was a young guy uh, called John Mark, and uh, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark, or Mark, we'll call him Mark, with them on the team. He wanted to reinstate Mark to the team. Paul, it says, wasn't so keen, and they had a big bust-up as a result of this. Now, the backstory is this. They had just set off on their first missionary journey. They'd gone to Cyprus and then ended up on the mainland. And it says in chapter 13, verse 13, John, that is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's all it says, just that little phrase there. But we, we can see there that Mark was part of the, the missionary team. We presume at this stage he was either a, a teenager or you know, sort of in his early 20s. He was a young guy. He was given responsibility to join these two sort of uh, gifted uh, apostles, Paul and Barnabas. Um, responsibility, good, great opportunity for him to come not only and, and learn the gospel, but to actually see gospel ad, uh, advance first, firsthand, to experience it and to actually contribute to the advancing of the gospel uh, where it had never been heard before. What an awesome responsibility, what an awesome opportunity for this young man. And yet it says uh, after the first visit, if you like, to Cyprus, Mark bailed out on them. It just became, for whatever reason, too much for him, and he decided that it was better off that he was at home rather than out with these guys, pushing back the darkness and advancing the gospel. We don't know why Mark bailed out on them. Perhaps he was simply freaked out. Because don't forget, in Cyprus, they had this sort of big ding-dong with a, 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 a magician by the name of uh, Elimus. And, uh, you know, the power of God and the power of the magician sort of clashed. And there was all this sort of spiritual stuff. And, and, the, and the magician ended up going blind and everybody got saved. And it was awesome. Maybe just all this spiritual stuff, all this healing and all this sort of power of evil freaked out Mark. And he decided that he just couldn't take it. And away he went. That might have been it. Maybe he was simply homesick. Maybe he was one of these young guys who's just a bit flighty and, and unreliable and, and didn't want to miss out what was going on at home. So he decided he would be better off going. In fact, there's a, an interesting couple of verses in, in Mark's gospel, the, the, the gospel that Mark himself actually eventually wrote when he was an older man. Uh, just as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was literally being betrayed uh, by, by Judas Iscariot and uh, you know, all these sort of temple guards from Jerusalem ended up coming out to seize Jesus and his disciples um, in the middle of the night, so it seems. And there's these couple of strange little verses in Mark 14, 51 and 52. It says this, A young man followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, no idea why he was only wearing a linen cloth. And they seized him, you know, the, the, the guards seized him, and he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And uh, it doesn't tell us who this guy is. Otherwise, it doesn't explain why he was in the story. Scholars think that this was Mark himself, young Mark. And he was writing about himself. And this is how he got uh, into the story. So again, it just seems to be that Mark sort of bolts when the going gets tough, he doesn't stay around, doesn't be the man, doesn't stick it out. Uh, when, when things are tough, he gets going and off he goes. 
Quite why he turned up with a linen cloth around his body and nothing else on in the middle of the night, I have no idea. Why didn't he bring a coat or some slippers or something? But anyway, there he was. Off he goes, bolting when they're going to get tough. And then the same thing happens a few years later on their first missionary journey. He deserts the team. He pulls out under threat for whatever reason. He's just a liability. And so Paul, uh, coming now to chapter 15, he didn't want the same thing to, to happen. He didn't want history to repeat. You know, the, the mission that we're on, says Paul, is way too important. And Mark just has a track record. We've tried him a couple of times and both times he's disappointed. I'm not going to take him. But Barnabas, has said, thought that we should take him. Barnabas disagreed. We should give him a second chance. Interestingly, Barnabas and Mark were cousins. So maybe there was a bit of family loyalty going on there as well. But anyway, either way, uh, there was a sharp disagreement, this massive argument between the heavyweights Paul and Barnabas, and they separated and went their own ways. Uh, Paul, uh, sorry, Barnabas went off to Cyprus. That's his homeland. He went back there again. Paul, it says in verse 40, chose Silas and departed. They went in their own ways. The dream team split up. Started so strong, didn't it? So much fruit in their first missionary journey. And yet ended in this disappointing outcome, the splitting up of this great team. So they continue on. And Paul, we see in these uh, next few verses, in the verse 16, uh, chapter 16, was trying to get something off the ground. You know, he's trying to get the second missionary trip up and running again. He wanted the same fruit. He wanted the same conversions, just like they saw on the first trip. And it says there in verse 6, as they were just sort of entering into slightly new ch- territory, Uh, It says there in verse 6, they'd already sort of visited Phrygia and Galatia, the churches they knew, but then having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, they weren't allowed to get into Asia, the province of Asia. Now, we don't know exactly how that came about. We don't know uh, how the Holy Spirit made this clear to them. It's possibly only in retrospect they realized. But at the time, they just couldn't get access to this region that was ripe for the gospel, that had never heard of Jesus before, and they wanted to go and preach the gospel and and, and see conversions. And yet, for whatever reason, they couldn't get in. So they were frustrated, and so they moved on. And what happens in verse 7? It says they attempted to get into another region called Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What's happening here? They, They just want to preach the gospel. It's the same as the first trip, but for whatever reason, at the start of the second missionary journey, it's just not happening. It's not clicking. It's the same gospel they're preaching, the same attitude of mind, the same approach they are adopting. But for whatever reason, it's just not opening up. Lord, they are saying, we are willing. We want to do this. Why are you stopping us from moving in the direction we think we should go? And so, as we've just been thinking in gospel advance, we must be prepared for disappointment. And we feel this, don't we? In Foundation Church, in our own experience, we've experienced this. People leaving at key moments when you wish they were just staying on board, leaving us as a church in some ways in difficult situations. We've experienced as a church some plans just not working out the way we would have liked them to work out. We have pushed doors as a church that just haven't opened up and we can't see a good reason why not. Personally, I've sought to make connections with as many people as I possibly can, both believers and unbelievers. I've tried to sow seeds that just have not come good. There's been no growth. There's been nothing that's popped out of a result of all that. We've invited our friends or our family to church or other events, and they have just not turned up. 
And so when, when we're advancing the gospel and we're seeking to honor God, we have to be prepared for disappointment. It's discouraging when these things happen, right? It drags us down. And we feel that it puts the brakes on our, our, our love and our desire to, to, to see the gospel going out and, and, and the momentum of our church. But here's the encouragement. Here's what I want to let you know. We can read in this chapter here, in these, these, these verses, that it happened to the best of the apostles, Paul. And if it happened to him and his team, then it will happen to us. We'll be disappointed from time to time. But the difference is, and the question is, we can be ready for it, or it can take us by surprise. And the difference is crucial. If we are ready for it, ready for discouragement, not, 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 not hoping for discouragement, we're not expecting discouragement, but if we're ready for it, if we're prepared for it, then we can deal with it. When we're ready for it, then disappointment won't land so deep in us. When we're prepared for it, we will roll with the punches. If we get our vision right, if we get our focus right, then we will find joy and satisfaction despite the setbacks and the discouragements. That's the encouragement. But here's a warning. If we're not ready, if we don't have a coping mechanism, if we don't have a, a way to process and deal with discouragement, then it will knock you out. It will land a knockout blow. Here's a, a few ways that this might manifest itself in your life. If you are not ready and on guard for disappointment, here's how it might manifest itself in your life. If you're not ready for discouragement and disappointment in church planting and advancing the gospel, number one, it might make you cynical. It will make you cynical. You may take a few hits, either in church or in life in general, stuff not working out the way you hoped, stuff not going your way, and you might become cynical. That is, you might become hardened. Your heart will become hard and you start to say things like, what's the point? And any further disappointments that may come into your life, you might just say to yourself and to other people, see, I told you, that's just the way life is. That's just what happens when, when you try something by faith. That's what happens when you get excited for Jesus. You just get knocked back. What's the point? That's what happens with all this vision and all this mission talk. That's where it takes you. Personally, you might think like this. If you've taken hits in your life, from whatever source or whatever reason, you might just end up cynically saying, you know what, life is just going to disappoint you. That's just the way it is. God will disappoint you. That's what he does. He didn't come through for me. This is what happens when you try to live for him. Stuff just doesn't, doesn't work out. If you're not ready for discouragement and disappointment, you'll end up cynical. If you're not ready for discouragement and disappointment, you'll end up fearful. Fearful. Look at Paul. He, he gave Mark an opportunity and Mark drops the ball he screwed up and Paul could quite easily and we, we could quite easily say you know what that's it I'm done no more investing in the young guys no more looking out for the future leaders no more taking a flyer I'm not handing out responsibility anymore if that's the kind of thing that can happen they'll just come back and burn me and as a result our faith dries up and we stop thinking about what we could do if we trusted God and we start thinking instead about what could go wrong and rather than trying to take the next hill for for Jesus we start to play for safety we start to become defensive we start to think about how we can minimize the risk how we can prevent fallout 
Faith goes out, you see, when discouragement comes in, and fear dominates our thinking instead. It can become cynical, can become fearful, can become depressed. Number three, we look at how bad things are. We think about how bad things are for me, how bad I am, how unlucky I am. We concentrate on these things, then we will become depressed, a dullness of spirit, a dullness of emotion, a lackluster, no joy, no zeal, no excitement for the mission. Even your body language could be affected. These are the three things that could happen if you're not ready for disappointment in gospel advance. How do I know it's these three things? Well, I can say this with uh, certainty because I've experienced them myself. In fact, one of the biggest lessons, if not the biggest lesson I have learned and trying to learn in church planting is how to deal with disappointment. And to be quite honest, I haven't always handled it as well as I could have done or should have done. It's a battle. But look at Paul. He suffered and struggled for the advance of the gospel far more than me and far more than any of us will ever do. And yet in him there is no cynicism. In him there is no fear. I love what he says in 2 Corinthians 4 um, verses 8 and 9. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down but we're not destroyed. No fear, no cynicism. Instead, for Paul, despite his knockbacks, despite his discouragements and disappointments, he is full of faith. He is mission-minded. He is the most Christ-glorifying person there has ever been, most likely. He didn't stop investing in young leaders, even though he got burned a few times. In fact, we see in verses 1 to 3, he brought another young man on called Timothy. And Timothy was brought onto the team. And Timothy, as you, you may know, became a vital leader, an important, powerful leader in the early church. He was a key person in gospel advance. Even Mark was eventually brought back onto the team. Paul describes him in a letter to Timothy. He says, Mark, he's my fellow worker. He is very useful for me in the ministry. So how is it that Paul, even though he is discouraged, and disappointed and takes hits for the gospel. How is it that he is able to tackle disappointment and yet not be flawed, not be crushed to the ground? How, does he, how is he able to continue with passion and joy and focus? And therefore, how can we do it? Because in gospel advance, we must expect disappointment. And that brings us to the second point that makes all this stuff worthwhile talking about, because otherwise we're just gonna be leaving even more depressed. In gospel advance, we must expect disappointment, but God, point two, sovereignly works to advance the gospel. This makes all the difference, folks. If you get this, then you're armed, you're prepared. From a human perspective, uh, this, this second missionary journey just starts off as a bit of a mess, doesn't it? But the, the clue is, uh, and, and this is the thing we're going to be uh, coming to in a few moments, if, if, if that's all we see, if we just look at the, 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 the circumstances and temporal things that are happening in and around us, of course we're going to become cynical and disappointed. 
but God sovereignly works to advance the gospel. And if we take our eyes off of uh, our individual circumstances from time to time and we place them further on God and what he can do and who he is, then we are protected, then we are ready. That's how Paul is able to tackle disappointment. And in these verses here, just let me say, there are so many teachings, there's so many practical things, so I'm just going to pull out one or two things I think serve us well um, in, in the context of this message. Uh, so we see Paul and Barnabas splitting up, this dream team just going in their separate ways in two different directions. The team was broken, and yet in verse 41, despite that, despite the cloud under which this started, it says Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, and what did he do? He strengthened the churches. Churches were still strengthened, even though this split had taken place. And in verses, uh, verse 5, we see that, that Paul and his team continued on to Lystra and Iconium, and he was visiting the churches that he planted. And it says in verse 5, I love this, the churches therefore were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. Despite the frustrations, the gospel was still advancing. The church was still growing stronger. And in verses 6 and following, Asia didn't work out for Paul. Bithynia didn't work out for Paul, but that didn't mean to say that it was all over. In fact, at just the right time in Paul's missionary journey, part two, God gave clear direction and vision. And he appeared to, to Paul in the middle of the night in, in a vision, or rather uh, he gave Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia, which was a part uh, miles away very, very remote from where they were at that time. A man from Macedonia appeared to Paul and said, come over and help us. It seems that God, for whatever reason, didn't want Paul in Asia. He didn't want Paul in Bithynia. He wanted Paul in Macedonia, which was miles away. Why did God do that? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say. But it was clear that all along, God was guiding, he was opening doors, and he was closing doors because God sovereignly works to advance the gospel. What do I mean when I say God is sovereign? Sovereign, we hear that, we sing it. What does it mean? Sovereign God means he is kingly. He acts as a king. He is a king. He is overall. He is, there is no higher authority above God. That means that God in his sovereignty is way above our way. Uh, he has exhaustive knowledge of all things. He knows the beginning from the end. His ways are higher than our ways. He organizes all things according to his purposes. That's what we get at when we say God is sovereign. And that includes Paul and Barnabas in their bus stop. That includes the formation of the new team, including Silas and Timothy. That includes the inaccessibility to Asia and Bithynia. And that includes Foundation Church Belfast and the lives of all God's people. When God is sovereign... He has a way of making things work according to his purposes. What are his purposes? What is God, the King and Lord, working towards? I love this phrase that came up in, in, in Ephesians 1 as part of our community Bible reading, reading uh, for this week past. And uh, it says this in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. God has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. This is God's plan, right? Big idea. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. For he chooses us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God is sovereign, he is Lord and he is king and he is bringing everything out to work according to his plan, to make Jesus Lord of all. That's his plan. 
God, of course, at the start of all this, created this beautiful world. He created this world, this uh, universe as we know and have it, something to know. He created it to love, to, to enjoy. He created to, to be known, to be loved, to be enjoyed. He created people in his image. Human beings such as you and I are closest to the heart of God out of all creation. We bear his hallmarks to the rest of the created order. And yet the Bible says we rejected his love. We rejected his rule. Sin therefore came in. Death came in. Decay came in. But the good news is that God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to purchase our forgiveness, forgive our sins, and, and, and begin the process of recreating and restoring this universe called the new heavens and the new earth. Everything finding its proper place under Christ the Lord to our utter joy and our total fulfillment. That's the direction we're heading in. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. This is God advancing the plan through the local church. And, and the people in the book of Acts are just simply passengers. Let's, let's not put them higher in our minds than they should be. They are passengers. They are obedient servants. Yes, they hear what God is saying, what he's calling them to do, and they do it. But it is God who is advancing the gospel. It's God who is bringing his plan to fulfillment in him. All things are fulfilled through Jesus. And so in case you thought that you could pull this off on your own, his kingdom advance. In case you thought that you could recreate the new heavens and the new earth. You have to know that you can't. That is way above you or I or any church or any nation or any culture. But God advances the gospel of Jesus through the church. God is working in a billion, billion, billion ways every moment of every second towards the glorious end, which is the new heaven and the new earth. And he does that through the local church. So let's start to piece this together. Another way we can put all this, God is sovereign, you are not. When it comes to advancing the gospel, God puts his people where he wants, when he wants them to do what he wants. Where he wants, when he wants to do what he wants. He is sovereign, his plans will come about. And see, when we start to understand this, and this is, this is where I'm getting at with this whole thing here, when we start to see our role in his great plans, it starts to put everything in a bit of a different perspective. Because when we get that in place and we, we start to see everything through that, that, uh, that great story, that great overarching story, we start to see disappointments and discouragements not as defining or signifying the end of your momentum with Jesus, but we start to see them as temporary blips. Even we start to see them as something God has granted to test us, to call out even more faith from us, to strengthen our resolve. Let me, let me give an example from the Bible just here. Paul We've just seen, we need to zoom out, Paul uh, couldn't get into Asia. We've just read that. He was frustrated, but he pushed on unabated. But do you know the Apostle John? He addressed his visionary letter, the book of Revelation. Do you know who he addressed it to? The seven churches in Asia. Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea and all the rest. Seeing God's sovereign advance, Paul couldn't get to Asia, but John could. Paul couldn't get to Bithynia, but do you know who the Apostle, Paul, uh, Apostle Peter addressed his first letter to? The believers in Bithynia. Paul couldn't get there, but Peter could. Paul would not have known this at the time. 
He couldn't get in to spread the gospel, but little did he know that God had other people in mind for the job. He wanted Paul and the team elsewhere. Because you see, God is sovereign in advancing the gospel. And so you can see, can't you, I hope that when we start to focus on the fact that God is sovereign in advancing the gospel, our, our discouragements and our disappointments don't own us, they don't control us, they don't master us, they don't hold us back. Because we know that ultimately, even if things don't work out for me and my little uh, sphere of knowledge, God is sovereign and he is advancing the gospel. And he uses us where he likes, when he wants, to do what he wants. But he doesn't only use us. There are other churches out there. There are other people out there that he calls and brings into play at his own sovereign will. That is why one of the reasons why we pray for other local churches in our city, because we know it's not just us that's called to reach Belfast. Yes, we're one of them, but there's many more. That's why we pray for other churches across Ireland and the UK and around the globe through, the, for example, the Advanced Network, because we know that God sovereignly uses all of his people and sometimes none of them to achieve his purposes to advance the gospel. And so we, when we understand the sovereignty of God, that he is at work to advance the gospel, we will continue to take risks, we will continue to push doors, we will continue to invest in growing disciples despite a track record of disappointment. We will be urged to be bold in faith because God is ahead of us, he is behind us, and he is with us. And all of this stuff calls out from us faith to continue to serve him with everything we've got. One major application of this teaching, to me very personally, is this. One of the greatest realizations that I have had to make when it comes to church planting is that I must be prepared to fail. I must be prepared to fail. I don't want to fail. I don't think we will fail. I'm not hoping that we fail. I must be prepared to fail. Because if my life depends on success, on this working out, then I am a slave to success. I'm a slave to purpose. I'll be controlled by disappointment and discouragement because it's not working out according to my will. If it becomes my God, if the success of this church becomes my God, not the sovereign Lord of the universe, then I will be crushed to the ground by my disappointments. God advances his kingdom, as we see in the book of Acts, through the Spirit. And I and we and you are called simply to listen to his voice and to faithfully and boldly do what he tells us to do. The, the result of that, the fruit of that, the outcome of that, that's on him. That's in his hands. And so I must be prepared to give it all up for him even the success of our church. But because God is in control, he is the sovereign and he advances the gospel, we will labor, we will sweat, we will serve, we will love, we will pour ourselves out for one another and for those far from God to the best of our abilities. We will draw on his strength, not our own, but we cannot take overall responsibility for the outcome because that will kill us. Paul later wrote to the Corinthian church and he said, I planted the gospel. My colleague Apollos watered it, but God caused the growth. Because he's in gospel advance, God is sovereign. 
So while we, we think a lot about, I do anyway, about strategy and mission and planning, and we have meetings and we talk about practical things, we need to be reminded every day, daily, that Christ is all. In him we rest, in him we receive, on him we lean, in him we find our delight. We need to hang on to that, especially when we are taking hits, discouragements and disappointments. And we do this together, right? That's why we're a community on mission. Pulling each other along if necessary. Saying to one another, if one of us is disappointed or, or discouraged, come on, church, let's go to Jesus. Let's, let's go to him for rest and, and, and power and, and our, our identity. Let's go to Jesus. Let's, let's breathe deeply the life of his spirit to give us life and air in our lungs. Let's come to him for that living water. We do this together. Because when you're hit and you're down and you're bruised, you can't do it on your own. You need someone to come and lift you up. And we do this together. So in gospel advance, we must prepare for disappointments. But God is sovereign at work to advance the gospel. Conclusion. Here's the thing. We must prepare for it. But God is doing it. And therefore, we do not need to get distracted or utterly demoralized, even when things don't work out. When we lean on God's sovereign, loving, gracious pursuit of his plans, which, by the way, are the highest good for you and for all mankind, then we are free to follow him with all we have as a community on mission. We have to hold people and plans loosely, but we hold God tightly, knowing that he clings on to us. Let's pray.